chartering private jets, rubbing shoulders with New York's elite, and sipping Dom Perignon like it was water were common pastimes of a Manhattan-based German national that went by the name of Anna Delvey. After years of calling some of the city's swankiest hotels home, the facade of riches and power would quickly crumble. Is this an inspiring tale of simply playing the game, faking it until you make it? Or was this 20-something woman a calculated scam artist who would do whatever she could to trick half of New York into opening their wallets? Welcome to Fakes and Frauds. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Glennis, and I'm joined today by the incredibly talented comedian and all-around wonderful human by the name of Lily Phillips. You may know her from her brilliant work on ITV's The Stand-Up Sketch Show or period dramas on BBC Three. She also has a very exciting new podcast with the amazing Esther Manito called Ghastly Women, which explores the darker side of the female sex. Hello, Lily. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. We have a Got quite the episode today. I will be sharing the story of the infamous Soho Grifter, and Lily here will be weighing in with her take on the saga. And to wrap things up, Lily will be talking us through a case that she has stumbled across that demonstrates a a similar theme. But first, I would love to hear if you, Lily, have ever dabbled in the world of party crashing yourself. Do you know what, Glennis? I wish I could say that I had and that I was a really cool badass like the woman that we're going to be discussing today but I'm not I'm just a pussy I can't handle lying I just can't handle it and I think it comes from when I was younger and I was I never got into bars or clubs because I've looked 12 for the past 20 years (laughs) and and I just anytime anyone asked me I just would tell them the truth immediately about how old I was (laughs) um I just couldn't handle it at all. I just go red. I start sweating and just tell them all of my secrets. And they're like, we don't care. Just leave this club. But then my friends and I started to um, create fake IDs. I don't oh my know God, yeah. if this was part of your generation too. But I, well, I we had a real so ID. Excited. Um, a real one. But it wasn't mine. That's what you got to go for, I think. Oh my God, that's fraud. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's where I got the inspo, I think. Yeah. We had these terrible fake IDs that cost a tenner from some dark place of the internet. And we got totally carried away with them. We developed these entire characters (laughs) of the people that we (laughs) we were pretending to be. (laughs) Well, we'd like just give them jobs. Like we'd be like, it'd be like, who was I? I was like, Mrs. Something. I think I put my name as like Mrs. Something. So I was like, that's old Old people are Mrs. Yeah. (laughs) And then we'd like have the photos done in our like school uniforms. (laughs) And (laughs) we just like didn't make any sense. And we'd be like 35 instead of just making ourselves 18. We were like, well, if we just say we're 18, then they'll obviously know that we're lying because obviously that's the perfect age. So we may as well be like 35. (laughs) Yeah. You don't even look 12. Like, yeah. I mean, about this. I, I definitely get the sentiment. Yeah, I think if everyone's 18, it's just, yeah, it's too obvious. Um, I, I, yeah, I had a, a real ID that wasn't mine. It was um, a girl I was friends with at school who was like a few years older than me. And so You'd I- murdered and stuff. Who I'd, who I'd murdered. No, but 
people used to the teachers would always actually get us mixed up like we looked very very similar um and people yeah teachers would come up to me and be like where's your assignment and I'd be like uh fuck off you know and then she'd get in trouble anyway um I feel like she was the better one of the two yeah definitely um Jenna Lee Minnie she was called um she was actually my first boyfriend's next girlfriend um but we you know despite the odds united and we're friends it's great but every every year on April the 11th I always like have this like weird feeling of like how do I know like why do I know this date and then I realize it's fake me's birthday she was born on April the 11th uh, and, and you had to memorize it yeah so I will never forget never forget that date yeah anyway um okay well I would like to say that uh, I feel slightly tricked because I felt like your USP was definitely uh, someone who would have party crashed. So I will be, um, you know, after asking for a refund. I think and... it's more that I just get invited to the party in the first place. Oh, so ouch. don't have to crash it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's true you can't you don't crash if you are welcome um got it noted <laughs> now uh we must give the people what they want this mm-hmm. uh quite epic tale that um as i was researching is still sort of unfolding in front of our eyes so by all accounts anna sorokin's life was about as ordinary as they come Born in 1991 in a suburb of Moscow to a truck driver father and a hayswife mother, Anna was reportedly a shy and frankly, very average child. That's harsh. (laughs) I hope it says that on my Wikipedia. Very average, not even just average, very. Yeah, well, I think very average child is probably going to be my my memoir titles. Um, At 16, the family relocated to Germany, where it's reported that Anna struggled to build strong social bonds due to her introverted nature and difficulties with the language. As soon as Anna finished high school, she picked herself a one-way ticket to London, where she planned to study at the very prestigious Central St. Martins, regarded as one of the world's best fashion schools, and boasting alumni such as Alexander McQueen, Stella McCartney, and Mark Jacobs. Anna enrolled in one of the school's art courses before quickly dropping out and moving across the channel to Paris. Now 20 years old, Anna landed herself an internship at the highly regarded fashion magazine Purple. In the winding road that is Anna's life, this could easily be seen as the moment where everything changed. The shy, unremarkable young woman with a soft Russian accent began the process of transforming into a power-hungry socialite with an unquenchable thirst for the high life. So basically, when I was researching this case, I realized that a friend of mine uh, worked at Purple at the same time as Anna, which is obviously like super exciting. Uh, and I was like, really, yeah, really stoked to get some first-hand goss. What she told me was not actually that exciting, but um, apparently many of her colleagues who worked directly with Anna said that they were always quite suspicious of her, that she always seemed like she was up to something. Mm. So that's my, exc- <laughs> this is is my that exclusive. It? That's the yeah. end. <laughs> I was Because I was going to say, oh, maybe you should have got her on the podcast with the the scoop but maybe not (laughs) yeah little to offer and do you think Um, they're just saying suspicious now they've read the stories because people always do that like if there's a guy that's like kept children in his back garden for years and years and years they don't call the police at any point but when they're caught they say "Mm, he did seem weird there was something weird about him but you never said that at the time Mm. yeah I think uh, yeah hindsight is definitely uh 2020 but I think like reading about her she does seem like a bit of a weirdo like very like 
quite like awkward and like yeah just kind of really struggled with the the old socializing which is you know which is ironic given considering what she's got up to you know mm. she's a I guess she's facing her fear she was like exactly I hate people so yeah you know like go head first into the social scene yeah and to be fair lots of rich people are socially awkward because they're so rich <laughs> theory yeah I mean I feel like they're quite good on the surface socially like they know how to ask questions and how to be in cert- at certain events and yeah they're at ease with um meeting new people but yeah deep down there's something weird going on yeah so it seems that For every person who found something strange about Anna, there were many who saw her as just an average rich girl. Very average. (laughs) Very average. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Poor girl. After managing to wiggle her way into the Paris fashion scene and become acquainted with a handful of high-profile players, Anna closed the Parisian chapter and relocated to New York City. It was during this move in 2013 that Anna assumed her new identity, dropping her Russian surname of Sorokin for the more intercontinental Delvi. Do you think this is an intercontinental name? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, know, but I thought her whole thing was like pretending to be an an heiress or something. So surely the Russian name would have been useful. Yeah. This is her first mistake. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep count, I hope you have a pen and paper. I'll put down first mistake from average Anna. (laughs) So Anna Delvey took up residence in some of Manhattan's top boutique hotels and presented herself as an heiress without a care. Her hotel room filled with bags full of designer goods from her latest shopping sprees. It was during her stay at the 11 Howard Hotel in Manhattan's Soho district that Anna met what some would refer to as her only real friend in New York, which is quite savage because she only lived there for a few years, so fucking give her a break, right? Yeah, New York's a tough city. It's probably like yeah. London in that way that everybody hates everybody. Yeah. So here she would meet a 25-year-old woman by the name of Neff Davis. Neff worked at the hotel as a concierge, and the two struck up a friendship after Anna inquired to Neff about where she could find the hottest restaurants in the area. It was later speculated that Anna was well aware of the area's best restaurants, and it was likely that she was just looking to chat. In 2018, Neff told Paper Magazine... It was almost like therapy for her. And, you know, I've helped people get away from their wives and out of bad marriages just by talking to them. So I figured, what's the difference? It's really none of my business where the money comes from. I like that Neff is helping people get away from their wives. <laughs> is that in her job description? I don't know. I, yeah. I, like, mm, do you need qualifications? I spoke to the concierge about it. So I really think we should get a divorce and I should marry someone younger. Yeah. Um, well done, Neff. So this this woman was telling everyone to do terrible things is Anna going to blame it on her I'd be like oh I did it because Neff I think that would be too clever for very average Anna so Anna would often treat Neff to expensive dinners and nights out the two discussing Neff's aspirations for becoming a filmmaker and Anna promising to offer financial support to make these dreams into a reality and Anna had big dreams of her own too Wherever Anna went, she would be talking about the Anna Delvey Foundation, a state-of-the-art members club that would feature sprawling gallery space, fine dining establishments, and plenty of entertainment for New York's elite. Which is an honourable project, I would say. Like, I feel like New York's elite, they really are overlooked. 
you know the word foundation makes it seem like a charity yeah I mean she's not it's a posh club exclusive club (laughs) exactly only rich people and okay so there's no altruistic I'm sure that there is like a a hint of it I think that like that comes with just being a rich person you have to have like a thing Um, yeah you have to be seen to be yeah helpful to other people but but yeah by doing it you're only helping yourself by giving yourself a really cool swanky club to go to yeah exactly so she was really tapping into what rich people would lap up exactly she was like you know look at me be nice to me because one day you're going to be sipping martinis at my place kind of thing yeah pretending to be charitable it was due to her friendship with Neff that Anna was able to put off paying her bill for much longer than she otherwise would have at the 11 Howard. Eventually, though, she did end up settling her tab of over $30,000, but it wouldn't be long before her bills racked up yet again and Anna was asked to leave. Though the 11 Howard would be luckier than many of the spots she frequented, with many of her stays ending with Anna being kicked out due to never having paid a dime. Over her years in New York, Anna would make contacts with some of the city's wealthiest and most influential names, from Macaulay Culkin to Billy McFarland, the man behind the disaster that was Fire Festival, and oh. Martin Screlly, or better known as Farmer Bro, the charming gentleman who bought the manufacturing rights to a HIV medication and raised its price from $13.50 per pill to $750 per pill. Wow, that's evil. So she was in great company. I mean, I feel bad for Macaulay Culkin in this... <laughs> In this situation yeah he hasn't I done mean, anything he's well just... yeah he's okay he's but you know he's had he had his time in the sun yeah um drug drug son i th- didn't didn't he like have a band that only wrote songs about pizza oh my god that sounds amazing <laughs> i think he i think this was yeah something he dabbled in um is he is he okay i think he's okay <laughs> i think he's like just the like behavior of a he hangs out with like Chloe Sevigny and stuff. He's like in that scene. Okay, that's okay. I'm I'm obsessed with his brother who's in um Oh yes. Succession. Anyway, um, so she was, you know, hanging out with the movers and shakers. Mm-hmm. And it was through her high-profile contacts that Anna was able to build a persona of extreme wealth and power. She began to become known for her habit of tipping hundred dollar bills to nearly every waiter or bellboy that she came into contact with. Well, that's her first mistake because rich people are stingy as fuck. So they were like, no, that's way too much. She's, she's, you know, overdoing it there, I think, with the hundred dollar bills. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that she just, she liked the power, even if it was just the power of like, a bellboy being nice to her which is that's interesting someone just told me this thing about status and how they I think it happened in America and they were talking about removing or they did a survey about removing the tipping system for mm. um restaurants and that if they could just add it to the bill and it was all included but it was it would mean you'd have to pay less they most people said no because of the status they feel when they mm. get to tip even yeah. if it means they pay more, it makes them feel more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I, I was a um, yeah, a waitress in, in Canada and it is such a wild world to have like all these like young people making such ridiculous amounts of money <laughs> from tips. Um, it's like such a competitive industry as well. Like, yeah. Really? Did you I'm work really... In, a, in a fancy place? 
no not even it was pretty it was pretty average um but yeah I remember like coming home and like having this giant mason jar because you know I'm middle class (laughs) and just filling it with like hundred dollar bills like a stripper (laughs) like a stripper um and but but also like having nothing to spend it on because I was like yeah um you just throw it all around your bed and lie in yeah it. mostly mostly, mostly. That's kind of what I did That's no I think I just went to like money. TK Maxx TK Maxx <laughs> and bought the entire shop <laughs> That's so many spiralizers <laughs> my friend worked in a restaurant and she a really posh one in Leeds and she told me once that like just uber rich people would come in there and they were the worst customers and they'd try and get money off all the time and one person Mm. ate their entire meal like their plate was completely clean and then said to her I hated that I want (laughs) a refund for the entire meal and she had to give it to him (laughs) life hack yeah, yeah. Getting so many ideas from this podcast. I know. So due to this little habit of hers, she would often cause a stir with the staff at the hotels of her residence, who would often fight for who would get the chance to assist Anna with her bags. Many acquainted with Anna recall her hiring a PR firm to plan a lavish birthday party for Delvey at the prestigious Sedell's in Soho, an event that Anna skipped the bill on entirely. In attendance was Chinese art collector Michael Shufu Huang, a casual friend of Delvey. He recalls many of the guests being influential figures in New York, but after speaking to a handful of them, quickly realised that they didn't know Anna personally, and they were just invited through the PR firm who were organising the event. That's sad, right? But surely that's, that's all rich people's parties. It's her birthday party. Yeah, but it's all publicity, isn't it? It's all like who's there, the sort of the photographers, what's going in the magazine the next day. It's all on the surface. Okay. I went true. to a party once. It was a bit like this, but it was like, oh, what was it? It was for a launch of something. There was a goodie bag. That's all I'm saying. It was goodie right. bag level of party. And w- you couldn't just let the party organically happen. There were these things scheduled. So... There was a photographer going around all the time, but it wasn't, it was like orchestrating events in which to photograph. And then at one point the host was like, okay, I want everyone on the dance floor now. We all had to run onto the dance floor so she could make a little video for um, the Instagram, the, you know, the Instagram, have you heard of it? Um, For her Instagram. So it looked like we were all just suddenly partying all at the same time, but we weren't. So it was all a lie. So basically it's a lie. internet lies i'm gonna pretend that that's the case with any kind of party photo on instagram i mean it probably Um, is that's what instagram's doing it's turning us all into pr people yeah like no one no one is actually happy um just me in my pants with ice cream yeah exactly and there there aren't enough photos of that yeah i i would i'll change that don't worry okay good anna wouldn't be interested in that though no. no, no, but I, you wouldn't get invited to a party. I don't want to be friends with Abijana, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she'll want to be friends with us after we've referred to her as Abijana. 
I know, you know what? I think it's probably the worst thing that she could be. Yeah, I'd rather be a bit than yeah. average. God. So after the party, Michael was contacted by the restaurant requesting Anna's details, as they'd been unable to reach her. He knew then that she was a fraud and quickly cut ties. Smart man, Michael. The Anna Delvey Foundation appeared to always be on the forefront of Anna's mind. After a while, Anna decided it was time to make the stream a reality and began to browse the pages of New York's finest commercial real estate. It wasn't long before she came across the historical Church Missions House at 281 Park Avenue South. Anna instantly knew that this would be the perfect setting for her ambitious project and was quick to get in touch with the broker. From this moment on, Anna would spend her days making calls to various contacts, putting together proposals for potential investors and powerful figures in the New York art scene. It was at during one of these meetings where Anna met one of New York's top publicists through a mutual contact. This publicist, who chose to withhold her name from the BBC Fake Heiress podcast, described Anna as acting as though she was in The Devil Wears Prada. The 2006 film starring Anne Hathaway and Mel Streep, where an eager intern enters into the world of fashion and is determined to please her demanding boss at all costs. Anna's attitude was compared to the likeness of Streep, but with plenty of years in the industry, Anna's diva persona had little impact on this quick-witted executive who denied Anna's offer to make her a co-owner of the Anna Delvey Foundation in return for handing over her database of high-profile clients. This decision would ultimately save her from some serious trouble. I think that that PR woman shouldn't withheld, withheld her name because... Yeah, I, I would be proud of that. She, yeah, she's cool. Like, I would hire her because of that. She's got her head screwed on. It sounds like she's also kind of doing okay. She probably doesn't... Doesn't need my business. Need to hire her. For sure. Doesn't need... Well, we can't ask, so... I'll ask her to do my next Edinburgh show. <laughs> She'd be honoured. <laughs> But many were not so lucky. Over a four-year period, this 20-something Russian-born would convince dozens of friends, businesses, and banks to part with tens of thousands of dollars to support her projects. One of the people who fell victim to Anna's con was Vanity Fair photo editor, Rachel Williams. The two met on a night out and quickly became friends. Anna offering a dose of carefree spontaneity to Rachel's rat race life that the young professional found refreshing. A perfect example of this spontaneous attitude was when Anna decided to invite Rachel her trainer Casey, and Rachel's photographer friend Jesse to Morocco in 2017 with barely a week's notice. Though taken by Anna's generosity, Jesse recalls the experience being quite underwhelming due to Anna being, quote, one of the most boring people he had ever met. Wow. <laughs> oh my God, poor Anna. This whole thing to try and make her more interesting has just made everyone know how incredibly boring she is. She's made her boringness famous. Exactly. Jesse also noted her undeniable awkwardness in front of the camera. He was invited under the pretense that Anna would be filming a promotional video of sorts for this Anna Delvey Foundation. She thought that the content presenting her in a lavish overseas setting, she would be able to build more hype in the project. In reality, the trip would end up being a pivotal moment in the epic fall of her carefully built facade. I mean, carefully built is an exaggeration, isn't it? Sounds like she was winging it. It's pretty sloppy. Yeah. So Anna's approach to convincing people of her wealth was calculated, abusing a loophole within the American banking system, which allowed individuals a 24-hour grace period between depositing a check before the check was cleared, a period that allowed people to still withdraw large sums of cash before the checks would bounce. 
Did they learn nothing from Catch Me If You Can? Well, this is the thing. This is also, this is like 2017. Yeah, like what? I don't, like, okay, but also America's living in the Stone Ages. They don't even have, I don't even think they have chip and pin yet. Are you kidding like, me? Okay, they might have chip and pin now, but last time I was there, contactless is definitely not on the cards, actually. <laughs> yeah, they, they still use checks as well. I know, they're so, America's so weird because it really comes across as a very modern society but they don't even have like maternity leave I know I mean that's for another podcast but Jesus I I would just like to say that Canada we've got trip and pin we've got maternity (laughs) we've got a relatively handsome prime minister yes you do um well done on that Anna would take out as much cash as she could and use this as tip service staff and go shopping, giving the impression that despite not having a working credit card, she was definitely not pinching pennies. The cocktail of being a young white woman with a Russian accent definitely added to her cover of being a wealthy heiress and likely made her prolonged stay in some of New York's top hotels without ever leaving a working credit card on file possible. And probably her being so fucking boring as well. They were like, yeah, Yeah. heiresses are probably really boring. This makes yeah, sense. they don't need personalities. Yeah, they've got money. She's tipping everyone. She she loves the tipping. Also, there's a really interesting Vice article. I can't remember what it was titled, but it was basically talked about how she looked really shit all the time, and how that like helped with her persona. Because obviously, like there's this big thing about really rich people being like, "I'm so rich, I don't need to wear, you know, nice clothes." She would like go to like these really fancy restaurants wearing like leggings and hoodies. Uh, right. So like the more rich you are, the more homeless you look. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I, see. I see. It is the approach that I try to also take. Yeah. It just can't work the other way around though, can it? Like you can't have like a homeless guy with like a, a Gucci trousers. So in autumn of 2016, Anna returned to Germany, a trip she told her friends was required in order to reset her visa. This is where Anna would commit one of her most audacious schemes yet. Her time to secure this church missions house was running out, and Anna was desperate to find the funds to secure the space for the Anna Delvey Foundation. Through her personal contacts, Anna was put in touch with an advisor from the Fortress Investment Group. Anna forged documents and created an alias of a man she claimed was her family banker based in Switzerland. The bank fell for the ruse, but informed Anna that due to the nature of the loan, a representative would need to meet the family banker in person in order to finalise the paperwork. Anna's tone quickly changed, and she told Fortress Investment Group that her father had had a change of heart and decided to finance the project privately, and the loan would no longer be required. So by the time that Anna's funds began to run dry, she had already established herself as a well-to-do socialite, and therefore requesting her friends to pick up the tab for various dinners and even flights, claiming to have issues with her bank, they were confident that she'd easily be able to pay them back. But she's buying all these clothes, but she looks like shit when she goes out. So where are all these clothes? Yeah, so she she was spending a lot of money on clothes, but I think the way that she was perhaps like putting them together was not seen as very nice. I think, honestly, the moral of the story is you can't buy taste. Because if you, <laughs> if you Google her, <laughs> she looks shit all the time. <laughs> and I feel kind of bad because I'm like, oh my God, you went to prison and you never even looked good. <laughs> what a waste what was all this for if it exactly. wasn't to look good like if you're not looking like a fucking minimalist scandy cause model then you fucked it 
yeah as far as i'm concerned i mean i didn't know that she had a very clear plan yeah no it seems very much just like a frazzled yeah she's kind of like each time it gets bigger and bigger and she just sees what else she can get because people are believing the lie which probably just started off as them assuming it Mm. and then she just kind of went with it i'm already defending her i feel bad for her because she's so average and boring looks like a bag of shit not even like yeah not even like a good bag of shit just a very average like yeah like just like not even noticeable it's just like i don't know it's for someone to call you boring that's that's really harsh (laughs) maybe she did it all just to get a personality wasn't about the money at all so Anna's Vanity Fair friend, Rachel, began to spot holes in her excuses while staying at La Mamona in Marrakesh. Unlike some of the American hotels that she was used to, this 7000 fucking dollars per night villa. What? Yeah, that's not, that's not a number my brain can comprehend. $7,000 um, a night. Jesus I just... Christ. Yeah. Anyway, they understandably were quite eager to obtain a credit card for the room almost right away Anna's tricks weren't well received and eventually she convinced her friend Rachel to put her card behind the desk assuring her that she wouldn't be charged unfortunately that would just be another one of Anna's lies Rachel's American Express was charged a total of $63,000 well more than her annual salary (laughs) I mean it would rack up with a seven thousand dollar a night hotel how can the room be worth seven thousand well apparently it was like a like a villa and there was like a personal butler but still okay but he probably got paid like two pounds yeah this is morocco she she should have just spent that on a stylist (laughs) she should have spent it on a personality coach yeah like a degree and then just like (laughs) yeah make money if if you get if you, so $63,000, I don't know what that is in pains, but you could do a degree. Yeah. You could do probably a couple. Yeah. Uh, do a degree in like something really fucking weird and you'll definitely be interesting. Yeah. Oh, I know someone that studies soil. Yeah. Go so, study soil. I mean, I don't know if he's that popular. Interesting, I guess. So Rachel described this period as understandably the most stressful time of her life, constantly texting Anna and being fed excuse after excuse and being reassured that the money was on its way. Eventually, Rachel's friend convinced her to report Anna to the authorities. But by this point, Anna had fled to California. After a dine and dash incident, Anna had been arrested and knew that the feds were onto her. Thinking fast, she flew to the Golden State and booked herself into Passages, a swanky rehab center that boasted past clients such as Mark Jacobs, Mel Gibson, and David Hasselhoff. I really want to believe that they were all there with Anna. Oh, that would be great. What, and is she saying an her party. addiction is being an arsehole? Well, yeah, money. basically. So she kind of went in and was like, I'm not, I'm not addicted to any substances. I'm not an alcoholic. I just need to chill out. And they were kind of like, whatever, give us your money. And I just need to meet some more rich celebs that I can. Yeah. Scam. And I've like r- rinsed New York dry. <laughs> It's also likely that Anna believed that due to the nature of the facility, she would be safe from arrest while in treatment. But Anna, she was wrong. Back in New York, Rachel had been working closely with an attorney to track down Anna and prosecute her for her crimes. Despite the two exchanging heated words, they didn't ever lose touch. Anna eventually disclosed to Rachel that she had booked herself into passages and would love to meet upon her discharge. 
Soon after, Rachel texted Anna to see if she wanted to get lunch as she was in LA for work. Anna accepted the offer, but it wouldn't be Rachel waiting for her at the restaurant. It would be justice. the FBI. <laughs> Cold, hard justice. <laughs> Just as Anna had stitched up Rachel on their trip to Morocco, Rachel had backed Anna into a corner and left her with no escape. The gig was finally up. God, Rachel's amazing. Bet that felt good. Just about us. Yeah. In October 2017, Anna was sent to serve time for six counts of grand larceny at the notorious Rikers Island prison. To be fair, not an average prison. So she's she's on the right track if she's trying to, you know, break that mold. Mm. Rikers is not a fun place to be. During her trial, she hired a stylist. Thank God. <laughs> to yeah, ensure no. she looked her best. At least she's learned something from this experience. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, if you do look at the photos, I, I probably wasn't the, the best stylist. She's um, probably low on cash at this point. <laughs> she's, it's probably like a work experience girl situation. <laughs> or someone conning her and saying she yeah, is exactly. a stylist, but actually she's an accountant. Yeah. She often upset the court with her tardiness and diva attitude. In court, she stated, the thing is, I'm not sorry. I'd be lying to you and to everyone else and to myself if I said I was sorry for anything. I do regret the way I went about things. On the 9th of May, 2019, Anna was found guilty in order to serve between four and 12 years behind bars, settle $12,000 worth of fines and repay 199000 worth in debts. After serving just 19 months, Anna was released from prison in February 2021, so just uh, a few weeks ago. Proving that her time behind bars didn't impact her affinity for the finer things in life, she checked straight into the nomad, this time likely being asked to pay upon arrival. Since the story broke in 2017, Anna has developed a somewhat of a cult following, with many seeing her as a bit of an anti-hero. Anna claims that she always intended to pay the people back she took money from. She just needed to get things off the ground first. In court, her defence lawyer even compared her to Frank Sinatra, stating, Anna had to kick the door down to get her chance at life. Just like Sinatra had to do it his way, Anna had to do it her way. He also said that what Delvey did was no different than what most self-made Instagram celebs do. Quote, in her world, this is what her social circle did. Everyone's life was perfectly curated for social media. People were fake. People were phony. And the money was made on hype alone. Who is this judge? What are they on about? Comparing her to Frank Sinatra. Oh, the defense lawyer. Feel... Yeah. Oh, that's the defense lawyer. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> I was imagining. It's like, wow, it feels like he's really taking sides. <laughs> yeah, no, that I mean, that was her, that was the whole defense strategy was like, it's, you know, it's a new age <laughs> and uh, you got to, yeah, fake it till you make it. But I don't think they understand how Instagram works because you don't steal money and then pay it back. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing Instagram all wrong if that is what you're supposed to be doing, but influencers get paid to do stuff yeah I mean there's always like I definitely know people that will sometimes I think we've probably seen this you know all of us have seen this but like when people go like oh my god thank you so much uh John Lewis for the bag and they bought the bag but they're like trying to make it sound like they got the bag you know what I mean they didn't steal the bag yeah no I just this is a weird comparison although I feel like now I've committed fraud because I've been sent things free things and they've said can you post about it and I just haven't (laughs) 
No, but that's um, uh, it's actually like illegal to not post to, about it. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> no, to 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 make someone post about it. Oh really? Yeah, there's like a thing. Actually, okay, I say that. I think that's only in Sweden. Now that I say that, that. sounds like Sweden. I used to. Yeah, they know what they're doing. <laughs> we don't. Because in, um, yeah, I used to be a journalist in Sweden and they, I would often, yeah, kind of get things and then other people would get upset being like, they're not allowed to give you stuff. And yeah, it was a fiasco. Um, but yeah, you don't have to post about it if you don't want to. Okay, great. So don't, don't worry. Well, I'll continue. <laughs> so if you're thinking that Anna's story sounds like the plot of a flashy Netflix series, you're not alone. The production company was quick to race for the rights to the story following her arrest commissioning Shonda Rhimes to produce the series, set to be released later this year. Anna has reportedly been hired as a consultant on the series and received an impressive $300,000 for this role. To her fans' delight, Anna promised that she would be doing an Instagram Live to address the hundreds of questions she's received since her arrest. That'll be a boring Instagram Live. Oh, I've watched it. It is extremely boring. (laughs) So in reality, the event depicted Anna awkwardly eating caviar and drinking champagne while in a bubble bath, fully clothed, with uh, loud rap music playing in the background. And she did not address any of the questions. It was very uncomfortable. In her first interview since her release, Anna told Good Morning America that prison was, quote, therapeutic. Ending the interview with, I was young. I would not repeat my actions. I'm just trying to make the best out of my situation. You can't say I was young about something that happened like two years ago. (laughs) Yeah, but she's gained so much (laughs) wisdom from her spa time in prison why is she saying it's therapeutic that's not the point of prison I love how she's like I've really you know changed my ways I was a different person then and now she's just selling her story to anyone that will take it she's not like I've, I've learned my lesson I'm gonna become a nurse <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's still just using no talent to get money yeah but I suppose like in a slightly more legit way Oh yeah, like slightly more it's legit. legit, but like the lowest form of legit. I think I wonder if when she says I learned my lesson, she means like I learned how to get money better. Yeah, I feel like that's probably I have to actually get money to. because she didn't yeah. really get that money. She had to pay it back, didn't she? Yeah, which is annoying. I've learned how sad. to work and get paid for it, like a normal person. <laughs> it's so weird. I learned that in prison. <laughs> so she would go on to tell the BBC. Others portrayed me as someone very manipulative, which I don't think I am. I was never too nice of a person. I was never... (laughs) such a weird thing to say. I was never too nice of a person. I was never trying to talk my way into anything. No one's saying she's nice, are they? No, I don't think so. People are calling her an actual sociopath. She's like, stop calling me nice and beautiful (laughs) and really interesting. I'm not any of those things. It's like, we know you're not. You're buying average. Shush, shush. I was never trying to talk my way into anything. I just told people what I wanted and they gave it to me or I would move on. Okay. No, but what she did to her friend Rachel, who wasn't a millionaire, yeah, wasn't just cool. like, oh, can you lend me this? I'll never pay it back. She didn't tell her what she was going to do. She just manipulated her. Like, yeah. Damn and right. also like she, you know, forged all those documents and shit. Like, yeah, that's not just like not just going, asking for what she wants. Yeah, it's not going to the bank. I would like this money, please. She's, yeah, she's um, she's lying and being deceitful in order to get what she wants. I think she should just fucking own it. Just be like, yeah, like I masterminded mm. this whole thing because I'm clever and interesting. 
and really complex, multifaceted individual. Yeah. So when it comes to her BFF concierge, Neff, she was also hired as a consultant on the Netflix series. And she made everyone working on it leave their wives. (laughs) There is a lot of single middle-aged men in New York. (laughs) She told Paper Magazine, Anna had a plan. She always told me she'd be the reason why my first movie got made, whether she paid for it or otherwise. And in the weirdest turn of events that I could have ever imagined, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, but that wasn't a fucking yeah. plan. That was not She's like, first, I'm going to ruin your life. She's a lot of shit to a lot of people. Yeah, like, it wasn't, oh, that wasn't all for, what's her name? Neff. So Neff goes on to say, she was a white girl and I just judged her for the way she looked and acted. I just didn't know that millionaire bankers were also fooled. How stupid are those guys? You're fooled by a girl <laughs> who said she's German, but is from Russia and can't even speak German. And she had an AOL email from a, quote, family accountant. But, you know, that's America. <laughs> I think Neff sounds, sounds, sounds like a badass. So Inventing Anna, the Netflix series, will star names such as Julia Garner as Anna and Laverne Cox as her trainer. Lena Dunham is also working on an adaptation of Rachel Williams' book entitled My Friend Anna, which is set to air on HBO this autumn. So, Lily, mm-hmm. what, do, what do we think? I I think she yeah she's very lucky she's very lucky she was pretty mischievous um but then I kind of I kind of rate that because Mm. I just wouldn't have the balls slash vagina to pull that kind of shit and do it all with a straight face and just continue to do it I think it's because you also have a personality like people well have to go I think this is like a story of what happens when you when you're boring (laughs) yeah so like as a lesson for parents like yeah get them a fucking book boring they'll end up in prison yeah because it's just full of really boring African people (laughs) prison (laughs) I like her and I'm definitely going to watch the Netflix thing it's right up my street yeah it, it is unfortunate because they've cast this you know, Julia Garner woman, who's absolutely stunning. She's in Ozark. I don't know if you watched that. Um, oh, is it her? Mm, and, oh, God, Anna's going to love this. Right? This is her dream. Yeah. Oh, my God. So they've, they've literally made her a more interesting person yeah. via TV. It's going to be very confusing for her. She's going to think that she's interesting, but I suspect we'll still go on to... Yeah, we, we should probably remind her. Yeah. I'm sure people will on the internet. <laughs> don't get any ideas Anna you're still very average so I uh, have heard rumors that you have a tale for us now yeah so along this whole theme of pretending to be something you know you're not um I heard about this guy called Scott Weiss who um kind of I wouldn't say he developed a career in this but a habit of crashing awards ceremonies right okay did what did he just just for fun well it started off for fun and then he made a um kind of documentary film of him doing it so then he had like a camera following him around to do it and I think it was like a roundabout way of getting into the acting world because I read in something else that he used to be an actor right and I think this was his way of like getting close to the stars so the first one he did I think it was the Oscars and he managed to like get in behind some musicians and then was he saying that he was the the drummer (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
yeah and they were like sing us a tune play us a note and he was like excuse me i've got to go over here i've got my friend anna needs to speak to me um she's just over there um and then he did this seat hopping thing which i've heard about you know any of these award ceremonies they have people waiting at the sides to fill seats up when celebs go to the toilet yeah yeah so weird my, my, fr- my like... friend's done that she's like yeah this, really yeah. i mean she's like um she's called harry hi harry but um she's just like a ridiculously good looking posh girl who just just gets to go to these things and be posh oh okay but these ones like they have to wait at the side oh so like Tom, harry, harry would Tom not Cruise be waiting. Will look like he needs a wee and all of the side people would be like poised to be the one to take his seat when he goes to the toilet I mean that's he'd have a really good seat right at the front like I don't know how I'd feel of it like I always get freaked out when like even I'm on the tube or something and I sit down and the seat's warm and I'm like that's from someone else's body yeah but if it's like someone like Tom Cruise maybe Tom Cruise is a bad example Bradley Cooper I would sit in his bum walk mm, give me Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix and we'll talk Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> Really? That's your bag? Yeah. I'll take it. Even after the Joker? Yeah. Yeah. I like a troubled man. (laughs) (laughs) Troubled euphemism of the century. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So he's going around sitting in Tom Cruise's butt warmth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, you you got a taste for the power oh it all started oh this is it it all started because when he was younger his dad used to take him to star trek conventions (laughs) (laughs) and just the taste of the highlights exactly i mean this is just like playing in our theory of like only really boring people do things like this because his dad just took him to star trek but didn't buy a ticket and it's like oh my god what a badass <laughs> like, oh you, crazy. you just wanted i just i just wanted to be like my old man <laughs> yeah exactly it's like history repeating itself but like no one cares because it's really boring history <laughs> and so he was like oh god so you don't have to pay for things you can just get in without without getting a ticket so that that inspired him we all learn from our parents don't we um yeah but I think really it was about being like rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous because maybe he actually wanted to be a famous actor. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, it kind of escalated and he started like using different techniques because there wasn't always a group of musicians that he could just filter in behind. Um, so he started making like fake ID badges. Um, one time he put on a fake sque- Swedish, um, <laughs> a, fake, a fake Swedish accent. Oh. which I would have loved to have heard. So, was he just talking like the, the chef and the Muppets? <laughs> it's like, flu-de-flu, flugen. <laughs> they were yeah, like, come like... right in, sit down. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, this was in the 90s, I think we should point out, right. because security was lax. Yeah. Terrorism wasn't a thing. Yeah, it hadn't been yeah. invented yet. You could just sneak in behind musicians going, Flutie flu, I'm the drummer, <laughs> doobly doob, I'll just sit here, Tom Cruise, yeah, that's my seat. And they'd be like, yeah, that sounds certainly normal. Uh, sim- yeah. Simpler time. Yeah. yeah, I think that from this podcast, I've realised that, yeah, 90s was the golden era for fucking mm. shit up. And yeah. the internet really just ruined it for for a lot of us. But, I mean, I suppose our friend Anna, she, um, you know, she was you know against the odds 
and she uh she used it in her favor didn't she yeah she did good for her yeah good for her Great. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and uh, sharing this tale. Uh, if people were to want to hear uh, jokes from you, where would they go? Um, just follow me on Instagram. That's mainly where I do the jokes or tell you about the jokes that I'll be doing somewhere else. Um, so it's at Lily Phillips Comedy. I'm on Twitter as well, but I'm really not good at tweeting. Yeah, I don't. It's, you'll it's get hard. the average version of me there <laughs> but you want the like high definition premium version on instagram yeah where i look much better than i do in real life are you still doing the weekly monday thing yeah that's 90s actually that's a it's called clueless does the 90s um online game show with me and Esther Minito and we invite two different comedians to come on every week and play 90s themed games including Pictionary, Family Fortunes um, and we've just added a new one called Triggered in the 90s so I guess have to tell us a harrowing story um, of their childhood but not too harrowing you know it's like <laughs> funny harrowing like funny dramatic. My favourite kind of drama. Yeah oh that's on jokepit.com sorry I should have said that all of this, of course, will be in the, the show notes, should you fancy. Um, and if you liked this podcast, do rate, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, tell uh, the boring people in your life. Perhaps <laughs> they can get tips how to be less boring. And uh, yeah, it's just a public, public service we run, I think. Thanks for listening. Stay boring. Stay boring. Bye. <laughs>